On episode 40 of DevTalk, I speak to Brandon Minnick about the road to publishing the developer productivity app Git Trends. Welcome to another episode of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and today's guest is the first returning guest. Hello, Brandon Minnick. Hey, Kerry. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, I just looked it up. Uh, it was episode number 17. We talked about GraphQL, and you approached me recently because you had something really hot in the works and you were looking for someone to talk to, to it about. So uh, let what is this new thing you're working on? Yeah, no, I'm really excited. I, I recently published a new app to the App Store. It's totally open source, all made in Xamarin and C Sharp using Xamarin Forms. Uh, but the app is called Git Trends. And it was it's actually something that started out for me just as a a useful tool side project that I'd been using for about a year to help me monitor my GitHub repos because I have, I haven't counted them recently, but a couple hundred open source repos on GitHub. And it's a couple it's hundred. Really, yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, not you mean all the ones of them. you start, right? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, most of them, most of them are complete sample apps. What okay. I guess, which probably is a little bit of an oxymoron. Uh, a sample app meaning it's not polished enough to go to the store. It doesn't have the icons or the splash screens. But for the most part, it is following best practices with the MVVM framework and all that fun stuff. And so if somebody is looking to learn something about like, uh, what was I just working on? I was working on updating an app that analyzed text to determine the sentiment. So. Azure has a sentiment analysis tool, and it's literally just like a NuGet package. You slap into your uh, into your app one line of code. And you can say analyze this text, and it'll tell you whether it's happy or sad. And so something like that, where it's a one page app. You enter some text, you click a button. That button uses that uh, sentiment analysis NuGet package to do the crazy machine learning stuff that I don't really understand, but people smarter than me do. And then this shows the results. So yeah, they're mostly apps like that or anytime I I find a bug and want to create a reproduction sample, I'll do that in GitHub. So it's 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 grown a lot over time. And and yeah, so there was um all, all these all these apps on GitHub. And I found that there was yeah. a couple apps that were still getting viewed 10, 20 times a week, even though I hadn't touched the code and years, like a couple years. And so, and so, yeah, so recently launched this new app to the app store called Get Trends, and it will, it'll show you how many views, clones, stars, issues, forks, etc. that your repos are receiving. And then it'll also show you where those views or where the viewers are coming from. So it'll show you like, what was a referring site? Did somebody discover my GitHub repo via a blog post. It'll show you that referring site and it'll even notify you if you have one trending. So I do some statistical analysis on the data that I get back from GitHub to see, are we getting a spike in views that is statistically speaking an outlier? So does your repo usually average 10 views a day and today you got a hundred? Well, we'll send you a notification to let you know that, hey, Carrie, your GitHub repo repository is trending. Nice. 
And uh, so I, I didn't mention your job is developer advocate, and as the that's a cliche that developer advocates only work on uh, um, like demos and like little sample apps. So maybe that, that's <laughs> what, you, what you were doing. And th this is something to help you manage all your sample apps in, in that case. Yeah. So I guess it is a little bit ironic in that in that point, but yeah, I think that is a. We'll say it's definitely a common stereotype in the advocacy world that we're not we're not real engineers. We don't know how to architect real apps, and I I disagree with that because I've been making apps. I have I've had apps in the app store for for years, and yes, a lot of <laughs> a lot of the repositories on my GitHub page are samples that are made to essentially help folks that haven't tried something yet. So if you've never done that sentiment analysis that we just chatted about, you can go check out the sample and then you're off and running. But yeah, I'd say for the most part, uh, most of us developer advocates, we we do it where we do the job because we love writing code and we love hanging out and chatting with fellow developers and being a part of the community. And And for me, the best way to learn has always been to to actually do it. And yeah. Uh, so so yeah, I wanted to come and chat with you today about not not just to brag about how <laughs> great this app is, which it is. Everybody should download it today, give it five stars. But yeah, to talk about what's what's involved in building an app store app. Like how how different is it from building a sample? What are what are some of the gotchas? And and to be honest, I was I was inspired recently by James Montemagno and Frank Kruger's podcast, uh, Merge Conflict, because James also recently launched an app. If you're into Animal Crossing, highly recommend it. But yeah, they were chatting about just all the speed bumps that James hit pushing the app to the App Store. And I was listening to that and kind of realizing, oh my gosh, like James hit these same problems too? I thought... I thought it was just me and it kind of clicked that, Hey, this is probably a common problem that we should, we should be talking about more. Like it's not easy pushing an app to the app store. It's heck, it's not easy building a sample, but then going from sample to app store app is another huge chasm that you have to uh, jump across. And yeah, I think the more we share this story, the more it'll help people running into the, maybe the same problems and help to just normalize it in general for anybody that's going through it. Okay, let's go Let's go back a step and um, to, to the beginning. I, so I'm assuming you were a bit fed up with uh, managing your GitHub repos. You, you had this desire, you came up with the idea to build an app. And I'm assuming the first step you would take for that is to see what data you could get at and, and if, if this data is publicly accessible? Yeah. And to to get specific, since this app deals with GitHub data, yeah, all this data is coming from the GitHub API. So I'm not, my app isn't actually doing anything special to, than aggregating it. But yeah, what I found was this data exists in the GitHub portal. If you go to one of your repos that you own, there will be a tab that's called um, Insights. And if you click on that, there's another tab 
on the left that'll appear called uh, trends. And if you click that, then it'll show you, yes, how many views, how many clones, um, where the where the traffic is coming from. It'll show you all that data, but you have to dig pretty deep into the repo to find it. And so, yeah, my initial thought was, wouldn't it be nice if all of this data was just aggregated and I could see it in a glance? Nice. So GitHub has a public API, not just a website for accessing that data? That's right. Yeah. And actually, throwback to our previous podcast on GraphQL, this all kind of started because I began my GraphQL journey by exploring GitHub's GraphQL API. And this app is actually leveraging a lot of stuff that we chatted about uh, last time. Nice. And was the... What, what GitHub was offering, was that enough? Or do you have some have a backend of your own that you deploy or to, to tunnel through? Ooh, good question. So right now, the backend just uses some serverless Azure functions, which are, uh, if you ever heard of AWS Lambda, same, same idea. They are microservices that just do stuff really quick. But right now, I'm not using them for much just to, for example, I'm using them to store some environment variables so I don't or so I can avoid hard coding specific environment variables like the GitHub OAuth token or the even the public key. I like keeping that as an environment variable so that if for some reason my keys get compromised, then I can swap them out. And they're, so the app's hitting a couple Azure functions, maybe three or four each time it launches. But no, I'm actually not storing anything on the back end I guess we'll say yet. My maybe this will be a future V two of the app or future improvement. But yeah, I was actually thinking about this because the GitHub data only or GitHub only stores the last fourteen days of data. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, how cool would that be? Is you know my app's already fetching the data. I could just store it, and then you could have access to a year, two years worth of data, or for however long you've been using the app. But once I started architecting that out, it would, yeah, it would really require a, a backend server and a cloud database to store that. Yep. And yeah, once you start talking about that, then it's like, okay, well, that's going to cost money. So now I have to look at what the costs are and how can I make sure I will monetize enough of the app to cover those costs. I mean, the app today is totally free. I've, Actually, all my app store apps are free. I haven't made any money directly off them. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so I don't know. I'm still thinking about that. There's also, um, there's there's a couple of ways to do it with maybe have a subscription service. So if you subscribe to Get Trends for $25 a year, then you'll have this premium subscription that allows you to save the data. But then <laughs> you get into the questions about, okay, well, to do that, then I'll need to save an OAuth token somewhere. And then, well, there's some more overhead. So now I have to make sure that we have uh, some authentication built in and that we can safely store this um, OAuth uh, token as a secret and encrypted. And, and so for, for right now, yeah, we're just, we're just pulling all of GitHub's data. But it's, it's definitely a path that, well, let's say it's it's a door that's still open that we can go down. I I haven't actively started working on it other than doing some architecting and thinking about it at a high level. But yeah, it would be cool to 
be able to offer some more services in the app like that. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at the screenshots now, and I'm assuming this is a Xamarin app. I'm assuming it's a Xamarin Forms app. Is it? Is that right? Yep, hundred percent Xamarin, hundred percent Xamarin Forms. And how did you go about designing this app? Did you <laughs> like the, like the file new experience? Where, where did you start? Did you have something already, or uh, did you sketch it out first? How did you go about this? So there, there's kind of two stories to design. The the first one is that, or the first <laughs> the first attempt at it, we'll say I did it myself, and I mm-hmm. I'm not a designer. Uh, I released the first version as a beta to the App Store back in March of 2020, mm-hmm. and um, basically wanted to just prove that it works, make sure, um, see what people think, kind of as a proof of concept. And after doing that, uh, my good friend Luis Pulhos, he's fellow Xamarin developer. If anybody's familiar with the Cross Geeks, uh, he's part of the Cross Geeks team. Mm-hmm. Uh, he reached out to me and said, "Hey." check out these designs that I, I drew up for Get Trends. What do you think? And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, in my head, I was pictured, oh, maybe he just kind of like sketched it on the back of a napkin. But no, he had gone into, um, oh, I forget the name. It wasn't Photoshop, but one of the professional design tools. And he had created a whole new UI UX for the app. And I was just like, dude, I, I love this. Like, thank you so much. So <laughs> I... I can't really take a lot of credit. I've I've learned a ton from Luis though because he taught me so much about um, material design and how to use shadows and elevation and how that all works together with colors because even even colors are impacted by elevation. So if you have a shadow underneath something to indicate that it's a little bit, we'll say, higher on the z-axis, so closer to the user in elevation then that also impacts impacts the text color. It impacts the color of that view that has been quote unquote elevated. And to really give your app that um, immersive effect, all these things have to align that I had no idea <laughs> even existed. And so Luis, if you're listening, thank you again. I can't thank you enough. And I know he's working on a blog post about his journey. So maybe once that's out, we could we could add that as a shout out in the show notes because sure. I'm, I'm curious myself how how he learned about all this because yeah I've been making mobile apps I've been doing Xamarin for five six years now and <laughs> I had no clue but yeah I guess the the easy answer <laughs> is hire a designer uh, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Apple and Google both do have a lot of design documents like the human interface guidelines for Apple and the material design guidelines for, for Android. But yeah, to be honest with you, I never sat down and read those. And that was probably very apparent in the first beta release of Git Trends. <laughs> and you mentioned material design. Does That was just for Android or were you using some new Xamarin Forms visual feature? Oh, so we did it for both. And actually, what's kind of cool, so let's see, another shout out. Um, there is Sharpnado Material Frame. Have you have you heard of this, Gary? This is from Jean-Marie Alphonse. That's right. Wow. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent job with the pronunciation. Yeah, Jean-Marie, another 
incredible Xamarin developer, um, yeah, created this library called Material Frame. And what's interesting, so I learned so much from Luis. He mocked out all the new UI stuff and we essentially hand implemented a lot of it. And then I see, um, yeah, I see these tweets coming out about uh, Material Frame, which is just a NuGet package. You add into your app, you say new Material Frame and you're off and running that basically does a lot of this for you. So things like adding in uh, shadows and handling colors according to the elevation. And they just released a new feature called Acrylic, which if you're using a light theme, kind of gives this, this well, if you're familiar with the acrylic material, it kind of gives this, this like shiny but still dull effect to mm-hmm. um, to your views, which is just <clears throat> which is just beautiful. And so what's funny is, yeah, Luis and I we hand implemented a lot of these designs, released version one, and then I discovered um, Material Frame and went back and was able to essentially delete a lot of our code that we had hand done to almost emulate this material design on our own and just replace it with material frame. Mm-hmm. Cool. And are there any other notable, notable libraries you're using in the code there? Anything to, for, for backend interaction or for visualization or any, any essentials plugins or something like that? Oh yeah. Tons of shout outs. I've, I've got them all listed on, on the GitHub page, but mm-hmm. yeah, We'll say a couple community shout outs because, yeah, of course, it's using Xamarin Forms and Xamarin Essentials and App Center, but uh, there's certain tools that I just couldn't have or wouldn't want to do without. Um, so things like Poly, things um, which let you create policies around handling exceptions. So, for example, when your mobile app tries to hit an API, but maybe you're out on a walk and your phone just switched from Wi Fi to th- uh, to sell, uh, to cellular. Well, if you tell Polly, if this exception happens, just retry it again, then your app will automatically retry. So, uh, so Polly is an amazing library. Refit is another one that makes ac- accessing APIs super simple in .NET, SQLite-NET by Frank Kruger. We're using SyncFusion for the chart so the the graph that you can pinch and zoom to okay. see your clones and views, that's all Syncfusion. Pancake View, that's another great one that we're using to uh, have more granular control around um, rounded borders and frames. It's, it's, it's really impressive. And I think that's something that a lot of, a lot of us, and it's not a bad thing, but a lot of us take for granted that, you know, we are everything we do is on the shoulder of giants. Like I couldn't have done any of this without any of these tools. Uh, and it's just amazing at how awesome of a community there is in for, for Xamarin developers today where, yeah, if I want to do something cool, like uh, material frame, I can just drop in a NuGet package. If I want to be able to handle retry policies, I just drop in a NuGet package and it's, it's made, Programming in C sharp and Xamarin is just so much simpler. Yeah, like I'm pretty old, and I remember the days when we developed with no internet connection and just a manual. 
<laughs> it is it is so um, and and some of our our um colleagues who are doing embedded development um they're still in a similar uh mode where where you google like an api and there's no zero hits on the internet and it's just you have to make make use of what's in the manual and uh, or make do with what's in the manual uh, so it, it, uh, but I don't want to go back to back to that world. No. Some, sometimes it was pretty re- rewarding if you got things to work. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, it, it, it's just so much slower. Oh yeah, and and that's the other thing is these libraries are also made by folks who have a have a true passion for whatever that library is doing. So, for example. Um, Another uh, shout out of my uh, GitHub repository is once called async await best practices. And it ended up going from just kind of me taking this journey into async await and .NET to uh, sharing that journey in conference talks to then turning that into a NuGet package that anybody can just easily add in and not have to necessarily go down the same rabbit hole I went down. You can just uh, leverage what I've already learned and take it, take advantage of the pain that I've already gone through so that you don't have to. And it's things like that where, you know, we can rely on these libraries because they're made by folks who are so passionate about it. And then on top of that, all of these ones we've been chatting about uh, are also open source. So if you want to add a new feature or make a request or say, even just say thank you to the library creator, you can jump in and do that. And it becomes this whole community effort to build and refine these these libraries. And yeah, it's it's a really cool world that we live in nowadays. I was I was in a similar boat when I started learning to program. It was yeah, it was a book, and you just had to like go to the appendix to figure out what <laughs> an API did, and then I would write it in Notepad, hope it compiled, and if it didn't go back to the book. <laughs> and now we have all these tools that are fingertips, which doesn't mean programming's easier now, but it's definitely a, a more pleasant experience, that's for sure. Maybe I should tell the story where we first met. This was at Xamarin Evolve in 2016 in Orlando. And I was sitting in, there was like a two-day training sessions right before the conference. And you were the the tutor in that lesson, or the the person giving the the instructions there. And uh, I remember you telling us in detail how ASIC and await worked, down to looking at what it looked like in, on the IL level. And <laughs> I thought it was so fascinating. You were you were so passionate about about what you were talking about, and and it was really uh, really great uh, two days before the conference, and it, it was a fantastic conference the, the rest also but i i really enjoyed that oh thanks yeah and even i mean don't let don't let carrie sound humble he was actually a speaker at xamarin evolve so carrie was already one of our top xamarin developers who we invited to come speak to the world to share his knowledge but yeah it's funny because there's so much there's so much to learn um i mean just look at the spectrum that i cover with um C sharp, .NET, Xamarin, mobile, iOS, Android, cloud, that I can't be an expert in anything, nor nor or can't be an expert in everything, I should say, uh, nor do I want to be an expert in everything. And so yeah, we have to rely on each other. And it's it's fun to 
it's fun finding out what you get passionate about because yeah, 10 years ago, I never would have thought that I would be a async await, Xamarin, GraphQL fanatic, <laughs> but yeah, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, have these libraries used in your in your app to get you started and um, I assuming like an iterative approach you, you talked about a release or beta beta releases and um so so or how did you go about the the whole release process of this <laughs> oh well let's um let's see we'll talk at kind of a high level because there's a lot of um there's a lot of little things that you have to do for releasing like creating those screenshots mm -hmm. that you put in the app store but um, on a, on a high level, what I found with releasing is this wasn't, this is not the first app I've pushed the app store. And so what I learned the first time doing it was that there are some avenues for you to share your app, get feedback. And a lot of those, don't get me wrong. They're, they're all very good. Uh, there's, if you just Google, uh, ad hoc distribution, iOS, Android, You'll find all of them. But what I found is that the easiest way to share your app is just to push it to the app store where anybody can download it. Because the the first app I made, it's, it's called Punday, and it's it's not open source. I wish I could, but I, I did it in, in conjunction with uh, my friend Matthew Broussard, and he actually owns the IP for, for the puns. He's the one that draws them. And, uh, so, but yeah, when I launched Punday, uh, I couldn't just point people to a open source repository. And so before we pushed it to the app store, we used, I think it was hockey app back then to test out the app in kind of a beta distribution. And what we, what I found was adding that extra layer. So if you wanted to install my app via hockey app, well, on iOS, I needed to first give you permission to install the app, which meant I had to go to Carrie and say, Hey, Carrie, can you send me your iPhone's UUID? And then you would say, <laughs> how do I find that? And I'd send you the instructions and maybe they worked, maybe they didn't. And maybe you'd remember to send it to me. Maybe you forgot. And then I'd have to go to my Apple developer profile at developer.apple.com and essentially add Carrie as an authorized user and then rebuild the app, push it back to hockey app, and then remind Carrie that, okay, now you can download it. And there's this just extra overhead and extra steps you have to go through that it ended, what it ended up doing was really diminishing the amount of feedback we got because unless you were a developer or maybe you had used hockey app before and you're familiar with it, or you just really, really wanted to try the beta of our app, uh, you weren't going to go through those steps. You know, it's, it's hard enough to or it's already a big enough favor to ask your friends and family and coworkers and to take their time to just essentially do nothing but give you feedback. So, hey, I know yeah. you're busy, but stop everything you're doing and help me. And so, so what we did or what I did this time was I just pushed it straight to the app store. I figured if I do get a poor review, um, we'll we'll worry about that later. But I. I was able to this time um, reach out and you know I asked around to friends and family. I think I threw something up on Twitter about who who wants to try it out, 
And then once it was available in the app stores, I could just send those folks a link. And so anybody that said they'd be interested in trying it out, sent you, sent you a message and said, yep, here's the iOS app store link. Here's the Google Play store link. Try it out. Let me know what you think. And that ended up being really helpful because there's little things right away that people noticed like... Um, the the app lacked a total <laughs> totally lacked an onboarding experience. So when you launched it, you got this error pop up that said, "Hey, you're not logged in." And it's like, "Well, no, duh. I haven't. You know, you haven't asked me to log in yet." And <laughs> so, like little things like that that developer Brandon doesn't think about, but a designer would. And actually, Luis <laughs> solved that. He created this beautiful onboarding experience that you see now when you load the app. There's this carousel page you swipe through that tells you all about everything and kind of holds your hand to connect you to GitHub and get up and running. Um, I didn't have any of that. So yeah, we were able to knock out a couple things right away. And Luis was part of that beta as well. And he was, and then he, when he came with the new UI and UX, it, it just dovetailed so perfectly with some of the other feedback I've gotten about like, like every, the old app was this color blue. And I was like, why is everything blue? It's like, Everything's just a shade of blue. It's either light blue, or it's dark blue. Like, and people are like, "Why wouldn't you make this white?" And little things um, I was hearing from um, from different folks just dovetailed perfectly into Luis's new design. And so, so yeah, my my recommendation is push it straight to the app store, um, unless obviously if there's some proprietary information or something where you cannot push it to the app store because maybe your co uh, company's policies, but Push it to the App Store because even iOS lets you reset the ratings every release. So they give you the option as a developer every time you update the app. So if I push out version 2 tomorrow, which I won't, hypothetically, if I push out version 2 tomorrow, <laughs> uh, I can say clear all of the ratings and reviews. And then it's like a clean slate for version 2. So if you... If you do get some negative feedback, and I did get somebody on the Google Play Store um, who left a review, I think it was something like two or three stars that said the, the UI is not very good. And I was like, well, I mean, you're right. <laughs> Thank you. But um, I even um, replied to him after we pushed out the new version one with uh, Luis's updated UI and UX and just said, hey, we just released a completely new user experience. The UI is totally redone. Let me know what you think. And yeah, he ended up uh, bumping up his review. So you don't have that two-star review in the app store anymore. So hmm. the, the reasons for not just pushing the beta to the app store, at least to me, are dwindling um, because we can always either clear out the reviews every time uh, we push or when we push the next update so that Anything from the beta doesn't get grouped in with the official release. And then people that people anywhere can try out your app. So anybody who maybe you haven't invited, maybe I was using the app on the bus. Somebody was looking over my shoulder and said, hey, that's a cool looking app. And I can just point them to the app store and they can try it out themselves or friends can share it with their friends. And I would always recommend pushing straight to the app store. And then once you have, don't forget to follow up. So like I mentioned a minute ago, everybody's everybody's always busy. You know, Ethan, uh, Carrie and I were chatting before kicking off the podcast today about, you know, it's strange. I can't leave the house anymore, but I feel like I'm 
I'm busier now, whether it's with uh, family obligations or with uh, just trying to make sure we get exercise and keeping the routines and we're all grocery shopping more now. It's it's strange, this world we live in in 2020, but uh, everybody's always busy. So you don't want to have to make them do extra steps and it's okay if they forget. So uh, for a lot of folks, I just ended up following up and said, hey, you know, have you had a chance to check it out yet? There's no rush. Um, and I would also include some of the feedback we had gotten and see if anybody else would second or third or provide second or third opinions on the feedback we're already seeing. And we, we were able to get about 100 users um, trying out the app. And so we obviously got tons of amazing feedback. And when you do that, people feel like they have a, well, and rightfully so, because they do have a, a stake in the in this app now. So next time they launch the app, when a, a new feature pops up that they were asking about or a bug is fixed that they discovered, they can, they can take pride in knowing that. And that kind of also creates this community connection, which... Yeah. Uh, Get Trans is really seeing because uh, we've had just outpouring of support from the community, from uh, folks opening up pull requests and adding in features, or people opening up feature requests in the repository on GitHub, or even just starring and forking it and playing around with it. It's it's been amazing. I, I wish I wish going back to my first app that I would have if I could do it all over again. Yeah, open source everything and push it straight to the app store for the for the beta and make sure to reach out to friends and family to ask for their opinions, get their advice, and then help use that to iterate over it for a couple versions before before pushing out what you would call version one. Yeah, that's really good advice. But how do you get from the what you have on GitHub now to a published app in the store? What are your steps? <laughs> Oh man, so this is where this is where things can get painful and things uh this is where you start kind of questioning things because you're like, why that's why, why I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> so so right, if if anybody were to um clone the GitHub repo and push it to the app store today, there's a bunch of steps you have to do on both iOS and Android. So let's see, we'll start with iOS. So iOS, you need to be a certified Apple developer. Um, certified doesn't mean you have to take a test. It just means you have to pay Apple $100 or at least in the US dollars, 100, 100 a year to mm. be able to have the privilege of publishing apps to the App Store. Um, once you've done that, they'll give you a developer account and you'll go in there and create a new app. But you'll also have to deal with uh, iOS's signing certificates and provisioning profiles. <laughs> and uh that can be a whole podcast about itself, but <laughs> these these are such a unexpected step uh, when I was first launching an app because I I didn't understand why. And so the what I understand now is iOS does this to make our make all of us safer, so that anytime we download an app from the App Store, we know that that was built by the developer. So basically that it was signed with, if you download my app, it was signed by me with my Apple developer certificate. Mm -hmm. And then the provisioning profiles ensure that 
the that the functionality at um, is um, what's the word I'm looking for is transparent. So if your app needs push notifications, if your app um, has in-app purchases, uh, a lot of times you'll notice in the app store, it'll say that like this app is free with in-app purchases and where Apple gets that information is from this provisioning profile. And so the provisioning profile, you go in and you specify your app's name and you specify your signing certificate. And so when you build the app on your local machine or your build host, you have to use this provisioning profile, the signing certificate, and then hand it over to Apple. And then they'll all always verify that on their side before pushing it to the store. And all of this helps that uh, helps the end user. So as, a, as an iPhone user myself, I know that every time I download an app from the App Store, it is the official app sign created by the developer and that there's no, there's no malicious code in there because there's nothing that this app can do that Apple or that the developer didn't already have to report to Apple. So if this app is going to even just something like on my app, if you tap on your uh, GitHub user profile picture, it'll lock or it'll navigate to GitHub. But if you have the GitHub app installed, then Git Trends will launch your GitHub profile in the GitHub app. And even something as simple as that, I have to explicitly call that out in my app's configuration to say, hey, Apple, my app, if the user has it installed, wants to be able to launch GitHub's app. So it's it's a bit of a pain, but I will say as a, as a user and a consumer of App Store apps, uh, I definitely appreciate it, but it is, it's weird the first time going through it because you're like, I never had to do any of this before. Why, why do I have to jump all, through all these hoops and like, what's a signing certificate? But it's all, it's all goodness. It's all based around security. Um, and then, yeah, on top of that, you now have to take screenshots of your app and provide those for the app store listing. So along with, you know, you obviously have to create a title, a description of your app, um, a version number. Uh, the screenshots were kind of the next hardest part for me because Apple, both Apple and, well, let's stick with Apple. So Apple makes you upload screenshots for uh, three different devices. So if you upload your app to the app store, you have to upload essentially the screenshots of the equivalent screen size of like the 11, is it the 11 plus or 11 pro, 11 max, <laughs> whatever the big screen size yeah. is with notch. And then you also have to provide screenshots for the uh, notchless devices. So like the recent SE or the 8 Plus. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to provide screenshots for iPad. And there's two different, and like with iPhone, there's two different iPads. So there's the uh, latest iPad Pro that doesn't have the home button that lets you use the swipe gestures. I think that's the iPad Pro. Well, they're both called iPad Pros, but (laughs) uh, it's the iPad Pro 2019 and up. And then there's the older iPad Pro that you have to upload screenshots for. Um, And so Apple's made this a little easier back in the day when five years ago when I launched Punday, I had to specifically upload screenshots for every single device that Apple had. Um, But nowadays, what Apple does, they let you upload for the largest resolution. So I don't need to provide a screenshot for both the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 8 Plus 
I can just upload the screenshots for the plus and then Apple will downscale them. And so that's, that's one perk, but <laughs> what's, what's tough is you then have to, you have to take those screenshots. So nowadays you can just do it on a simulator and the simulators will give you the pixel accurate screenshots that you can use for your app store listing. But yeah, back in the day they did it. And so it was like, well, what do I have to do to publish to the app store? Do I go buy an iPad? And I think back then, um, I was still using Xam or Xamarin test cloud was still a thing. And if huh. now it is it's, it's since evolved into app center test, but it's essentially this device farm that, that Microsoft or Xamarin had and well still has where you could just run your app on all these different devices. <laughs> and so, yeah, I ended up just leveraging that and I just pushed my app to, um, and I'm still doing it with apps, app center tests today, but, uh, push my app to, um, Xamarin test cloud and let it take screenshots of every page. And then I was able just to download those screenshots and upload them to Apple. <laughs> and so there's all that stuff. And then on top of that, you have to have a privacy policy. So yeah, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, what do you put into there? So I ended up paying a service that kind of gives you a generic privacy policy that you can kind of plug into things and, Oh, so after all that's done, so as if that's not a big enough headache, that's just to be able to click the submit button. So you get done with all of that, and then you can say submit to Apple for review. And then this is where things get really interesting because Apple has a team of people that review every single new app and every app update that goes to the app store before it's approved and we can download it as consumers on, on our devices. So I never had a problem with the review process for Punday because uh, there's no user accounts. You don't have to log in. You don't have to authenticate. But with this app, you really need to connect to GitHub to do anything. Otherwise, you're just looking at a blank page. You're, you're not going to get your GitHub. There's going to be no GitHub stats in the app until you connect to GitHub. Hmm. And so... So I submit the app to Apple. Um, this is the first submission, getting ready for the beta. And Apple kicks it back and they go, well, nope, sorry. We couldn't approve this app because we can't confirm that it does what it says it does. Like, what? Like, nobody at Apple has a GitHub account that they'll just connect to it? And it's like, okay, fine. And I went through and I made a whole um, demo experience, which is still in the app today. You can, you can choose to connect to GitHub, or if you want to try the app out first, you can say, um, try demo. And it basically logs you in as a fake user and uses just Lauren Ipsum to create uh, repo names. And it's just dummy data that now you can see what the graphs look like and you can kind of get a feel for the app. So spent, mm -hmm. so went back to the drawing board, right? Uh, spent a couple of days, I added this whole demo experience, which wasn't too difficult because it's just dummy data, but you also have to think about the the login flow and how does somebody go log out of demo and log into their account. So it was a little bit more complicated than I expected, but spent a couple of days, added this demo flow and resubmitted it. And Apple kicked it back again. And they said, we can't verify that this app does what you says it <laughs> says it's supposed to do. And I'm like, what the heck? So I found in the submission page, when you submit your app to Apple, there is a text box where you can, you can add some text about um, how to use the app and describe how it works. And it'll only be visible by the reviewers. And so I was like, okay, great. 
they must have missed the demo button. So I went back and included all the steps, like very detailed. Here's the page. Click on this, tap this, and then you'll be in demo mode and you can play around in the app. I figured happy days. That's going to solve it. No problem. Submitted to Apple, rejected again. (laughs) (laughs) So after being rejected three times, um, I was like, all right, well, great. So now I have to figure out a way that they can log in or connect to a GitHub account. So then I said, I'll just make a Git Trends GitHub account. So the the Git Trends repo lives under my GitHub account. That's where all the open source code is. But it's like, well, I'll just make a, a GitHub user called Git Trends. I won't use it for anything else other than allowing Apple <laughs> to connect to GitHub. And this became a whole headache in itself because the first time I submitted it, I gave them the username and password for Git Trends and they rejected it again. And <laughs> I was like, what the heck? You have the username and password, just log into the app, connect to GitHub, that's it. And I found out that some of the testers are here or nearby me. I live in San Francisco. So Apple's headquartered in Mountain View, which is just south of here. And so some of the testers are, were connecting and logging in from Mountain View, but also some of the testers are connecting and logging in from Apple's campus in Ireland. So GitHub caught this. Their fantastic security team said, wait a minute, you just logged in from California. Now you're trying to log in from Ireland. And they said, nope, we're (laughs) shutting this down. Like something's not right. And they sent me an email that I had to approve that, yes, like this was known behavior, but all this happens in the middle of the night. So like, I just wake up to Apple rejecting my app because they couldn't connect to GitHub and emails from GitHub saying like, somebody's trying to hack into your GitHub account or we've seen malicious behavior. And it's like, oh, so now what do I do? And I found that the only way to um, allow that kind of behavior to happen or to have logins essentially from around the world simultaneously into one GitHub account is to use two-factor authentication but then that's what I was just, just thinking. Okay. Yeah. But if you have two factor auth, then that means the Apple testers also need that rolling code. So <laughs> that became a whole headache, but I figured out that in the notes, I could give them the, the code to connect either Microsoft Authenticator or the Google Authenticator app to the two factor auth for this dummy GitHub account that I've made. So um, that was. That was a headache just that was new to me for having to log in. But yeah, I I swear I was ready to go. I had all my screenshots ready. I was like, this thing's good. I've got um, friends and family who've agreed to test it out. And then it was a week or two later and people were asking me like, hey, like I look for the app again today. I can't find it. And it's like, yeah, we're, we're working on it. Uh, just getting it through this approval process is another headache in itself. and you know, it's, it's a good thing. Like as again, as a user, I appreciate that Apple vets the apps and that, um, there's, you know, they're making sure there's no malicious activity going on, that the app says what it's going to do, that the app doesn't crash. Um, but, but yeah, from the developer side, it's, it's a bit of a headache and Apple is also judge, jury, and executioner where they, meaning they make the rules. So they have their submission guidelines and, um, if they find you violate any of those, they'll reject your app or even worse, rip it out of the store if they missed it in the review process and somebody reported it later. 
but they can also claim that your app violates a specific guideline and they don't have to give you any more details. So I haven't, I've been fortunate that I haven't hit one of these yet, but yeah, I've heard horror stories from other developers that Apple said, your app violates, and I'm going to make up a number, but uh, page three, section two, line seven of our of our uh, policies, please fix this and resubmit your app. And that's all they say. So you don't really get a chance to um, appeal it or even ask them like, okay, well, what specifically in the app, like, can you at least like point to something in a screenshot or give me like, what buttons did you tap that led you to discover this? Because I'm reading this rule and it's kind of, it's like part legalese, but part also super generic that it could be interpreted. However, the um, the rules committee wants to interpret it. And that can be really tough because then you go into a back and forth and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong because you keep rejecting my app. And I interpret this rule to mean this, but you won't tell me how you're interpreting it. And you won't tell me how my app is breaking that rule specifically. So yeah, you just kind of guess and check. Yeah, I've gone through this and uh, we it was also a couple of weeks before we got the app approved. And what, what happened in our case was that the app was crashing on startup, not in, in our on any of our devices, only on the device of the tester at Apple. And it was a Xamarin app. And um, all they were able to send us was basically a a native code crash dump, which was not very helpful to us. And uh, we, we were actually able to get somebody on the phone at Apple and talk oh, really? to them. Yeah, it was a while back. And we we got them to to send us the console output of the uh, of the app. And that was where where you could see the the managed stack trace. Oh, wow. uh, so basically the the C sharp code, and then we saw exactly w- what was happening. It was uh, it was like some some static constructor. We were dissecting the locale, you know, like en dash us, and we were expecting there would be a a hyphen in there, and there was not on this test device. In any device we tried, it was not possible to have like an only en device, only English, but no country. Yeah, and but they had, they had some special device, and the, theirs was was off, and and our code didn't expect that, and just crashed uh, right right on startup, and and it was <laughs> difficult to figure out. And once you saw the 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 stack trace, it was really easy, but um, yeah, it was just the the difficult part was getting at that information. Wow, I mean, fascinating and frustrating at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, how how much of this is automated at this point? Ooh, good question. So, say yes and no. Uh, as <laughs> it was not a yes so, and no question. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a um, yeah, as the sole maintainer on this on this project, I I do my best to have a suite of tests that I can run every time. I commit new code, or if anybody opens up a pull request, these will run. And so I've 
Um, let's see, I have GitHub Actions run anytime there's a commit or a pull request. And then also mm -hmm. App Center will run the suite of UI tests and App Center test. And if anybody's and unfamiliar, yep. yeah. So yeah, if anybody's mm -hmm. unfamiliar, unit tests is code testing code where you can call methods in your view models or your service layer and make sure that the return result is what you expected. UI tests, uh, user interface tests, emulate the user. So you essentially can do anything a user would do using your app. So if a user can tap a button, enter text, navigate, swipe, those are what UI tests emulate. And so mm -hmm. what... So what I have now, and the reason I say yes and no is I do have GitHub Actions and App Center set up so that anytime uh, I commit code or anybody submits a pull request, those will run and it'll run all the unit tests. It'll run all the UI tests, obviously build and compile the app. And that is all automated. But what I haven't done and saying it out loud, it seems silly that I haven't, especially now that I have multiple apps in the app store is automated the, uh, the steps required to push your app to the app store. So today, yeah, I'm still going to the Apple developer portal, the Google play console, uh, manually typing in the release notes, manually uploading the new IPA to iOS or the new app bundle to, um, Google and that mm -hmm. part's still manual, but. I'm actually curious because I, I have a sense that you asked that question because you do it. Are you using a tool like Fastlane or anything like that? I No, I, I have no App Store publishing automated, but I know that you can really go crazy there and like have it do all your screenshots and everything in every language and every every re resolution. And yeah, <laughs> so I yeah, I, yeah. Fastlane is, is probably the, the iOS way to go. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it's even uh, baked into a lot of tools nowadays. Like I think with App Center, you can push directly yeah. to the stores. And I think even Visual Studio lets you push to the stores and it's leveraging. I think they all leverage app. Uh, they leverage Fastlane uh, under the hood. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's It's something I should do, but it also, it makes me nervous too at the same time because if if everything's automated, then... Well, let me put it a different way. I'd rather I'd rather have to be that gate at the end that says publish or not publish because yeah, if somebody could or even me, I, I actually just committed code today that broke some unit tests, so shame on me. But yeah, anybody can submit code. All this stuff will happen automatically. And what if we don't vet it thoroughly enough and something automatically gets published to the app store and then we have to go, oh shoot. We didn't want that to make its way all the way to the App Store. And the only recourse you have, because Apple and Google don't let you revert to a previous version. Mm -hmm. So you would have to essentially push out another, we'll say, quote unquote, update. It'll have a newer version number, a newer build string. But it would it is the code from the previous update. So yeah, there's no way to just like say oopsies and click undo once you've pushed an app to the app store. And so that's, that's part of my hesitation, but honestly, at the same time, a lot of this is nights and weekends and it's, it's always been a nice lazy Sunday activity for me where, um, I can just kick off some tests. Hopefully everything's 
everything's coming back green and passing. And then, yeah, just kind of pushing it to the app store while you're hanging out, watching TV, just kind of having a lazy day. Yeah. No, it's not. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just <laughs> at, at, at uh, I, I, get, I guess if an app gets bigger and if the team gets larger and at some point uh, you you just either it just takes too much of your time or or you you don't uh, you want to have have some or way of reproducing that results and 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 if it if too much is manual then that that gets difficult i guess yeah definitely and especially when you start thinking about uh companies like like facebook they they have a super fast uh sprint cycle and they're pushing out yeah. updates every week if not every two weeks and yeah, if somebody had to do that manually, that would be tough because now one person has to understand that whole ecosystem around the app and all the new commits and all the sprints. And that's definitely where you would want to have a lot of automation built in. But yeah, being the sole uh, owner, maintainer on an app also gives you that a little bit of privilege, a little bit of privilege, a little bit of leeway to kind of be the gatekeeper, even if it does you know, take an extra hour or so out of my day. Yeah. But when, if you automate it, you also document what the, the steps that are necessary to, to publish your app. That's, that's, I guess, a good um, byproduct of that process. Yeah, that's a good point. And it'll yeah, definitely help new developers get up to speed. If, for example, if that's their first time going through all the, we'll say app store fun. <laughs> But as as always, you have to. They like to change their portal too, like every once in a while, or maybe too often. So you you always have to have to figure out what what you did last time or what changed now. Oh yeah, and I've even seen um, I've seen Fastlane get caught up in that too, where yeah. they they were using a specific API to say upload the IPA file, and all of a sudden that changed and it just broke everything for everybody. But yeah, yeah, that's. That's one of the downsides of being a mobile developer is you are beholden to Google and Apple and because they they own the operating system and they own the app stores, then they get to make all the decisions. And for the most part, I understand them and agree with them. But yeah, there's definitely some things it's like, whew, man, wouldn't it be nice if. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your plans for Git Trends in the future? Ooh, yeah, good question. So I'm pushing out an update this week that it's just small bug fixes. Um, a buddy of mine reached out to me uh, because his his app wasn't loading, even though he connected to GitHub. And there's this weird edge case where if you turns out if you own a repo or if you're a contributor to a repo, you still won't be able to see the the trending statistics on views and clones, which... Okay, didn't know that exists, but yeah, we got it fixed. We're pushing that out soon. But feature-wise, we have some really cool feature requests that I'm interested in. Um, today, I need to finish the unit test suite. So when I launched the beta, I had fully, uh, fully finished the UI testing, but I wanted to get the version one out to share that with everybody. And I said that version one's going to go, to the app stores, then we're going to have a feature freeze and I'm doing nothing but unit testing and then obviously minor bug fixes. And <laughs> so 
right right now I've spent the last couple of weeks just doing nothing but unit testing, which kind of makes your eyes cross a little bit after a while because you feel like you're writing the same code over and over. Like, wait a minute, didn't I already do this? But it's like, no, we had a similar test, but it was a different class. But anyways, so we're doing some unit testing, but there's some cool features if, uh, and actually anybody listening, if you have a feature request, check it out on GitHub. It's, uh, the app is called Git Trends, G-I-T-T-R-E-N-D-S, like trending. And if you have a feature request, let me know because there's one that, I'll probably prioritize for the next big version release. And this one is for uh, star tracking. So there's a, there's a really star cool website. Tracking. <laughs> so, right, not, not the TV show, not the movie, but um, in, in GitHub, you can star repos. So it's kind of like marking mm-hmm. them as a favorite or folks like to use it as bookmarks so that they can, if they find a cool GitHub repo, they can bookmark it, check it out later. And there's a really cool website um, called Star History. I'm trying to pull up the URL now. Uh, looks like star-history.t9t.io. Uh, well, maybe we can add a, a note in the show links. But mm-hmm. what Star History does, you just type in your repo name, and it comes back with the this chart showing here's when your repo was created, here's how many stars you have your repo has today. And then it shows it over time. So you can see like there's certain like spikes um, and you can see how your repo is trending via stars. So what I, what I want to do, this is actually, uh, this star history is also an open source app. So what I have on my to-do list is to reach out to the owner of this app and see if uh, he or she would be interested in doing a collaboration and what I can do, I can bring that into Git Trends, and then we can add that to the charts. So right now, the chart you'll see in Git Trends is showing off views, clones, unique views, and unique clones. But mm-hmm. I kind of have a uh, idea where maybe we have like a segmented control. So uh, basically, just a little toggle at the top of that page where you can say, "Show me." views and clones or show me stars and you can flip over to see um, your star rating over time. So that was a, this is a feature request opened by somebody in the, um, in the community. So thank you. Thank you, Sasha, for uh, suggesting that. I love it. So I want to do that. Um, and I also want to add in translations. So something, something I didn't expect, did not expect, was for this app to become so popular so quickly. And it's, I'm, I'm thankful it has, uh, and I'm certainly humbled. And I know you and I have chatted on Twitter about its ranking in the app stores. It's hit, uh, I think, got in the top 35 in developer tools in the US app store. And you showed me it was in, I think, the top 15 in the German app store and hit the top mm-hmm. 10 in the Australian app store. So amazing. Um, but it's only in English. <laughs> and so uh, what, what I should have done from the start is had, should have been a good developer and had a, a ResX file that will do translations because there's honestly, there's not a lot of text um, other than like, it's like the onboarding probably has the most text where it's like, welcome to get trends. Here's how to pinch and zoom on the chart. But yeah, that's going to be in a future release. And that's at the top of the list where we're going to have... Um, it translated and 
And to be frank, this is something where I'm going to also need a lot of support from the community because I am a dumb American that only speaks English. And so I could just put the English into Google Translate and hope <laughs> it actually <laughs> translates properly. But well, yeah, what I'd love is if anybody uh, does speak a another language or maybe English isn't your first language and you'd be willing to translate it into um, one you're familiar with, let me know because this will be uh, definitely a community effort. I'm going to build the ResX file and then hope for help for uh, folks like you, Carrie, who are fluent in both German and English to help uh Bring, bring it up to speed for the international community. Sure. <laughs> and probably after that, um, we do have a Windows desktop app on the roadmap. The, the only blocker we have right now is the app is using .NET Standard 2.1. And Xamarin Forms supports UWP. So in theory, I can just slap in a UW, UWP project and the app will just run on Windows. And that will be true once UWP supports .NET Standard 2.1. And you might be thinking like, okay, well, that's a kind of a dumb excuse. Like, why not just downgrade to .NET Standard 2.0? Well, .NET Standard 2.1 also in introduced a lot of things like uh, async streams. So you can do a um, async await for each loops and mm -hmm. So I've I've got all of that um, with iAsync enumerable scattered throughout the app, and it would it'd be a huge undertaking to roll that back, and then I would have to re-implement it again. But so, yeah, what we're doing right now, we're just waiting for UWP to add that support, which, if I remember correctly, is coming in .NET five. So once we have the ability to do uh, use .NET five, we can add in uh, UWP and release it on the Windows Store as well. So that way you don't have to find your phone, open it up every time you want to check your GitHub repos. It can just be there on your desktop next to you. And so, so yeah, to answer your question, we're going to definitely do internationalization, localization. So support for multiple languages. UWP, once we get access to .NET 5, and then hopefully we can take advantage of um, this really cool star tracking tool that already exists and leverage that and bring it into the mobile app because as far as I'm aware, the Star History app is just a website. So we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah, it's really exciting. And, and like I said, everything's open source. So if anybody, if anybody wants to tackle one of these features, because you also can't leave your, your home and you're looking for something to do, feel free to join in the fun. Or if you have been using the app and you're saying to yourself, man, I wish it did X, open it up as a feature request. And yeah, we can we can put it on the roadmap. It really is exciting. Yeah, it, it's, it's great. I, I see talking about stars. You've got 161 stars on, on GitHub, and that's really quite an achievement. So uh, congratulations to the success so far. And yeah, and that was... Yeah, it goes goes just up from there. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's been it's been really humbling. I mean, this was something I'd always wanted to do. Like I mentioned, when I released Punday, I couldn't open source it because I didn't own the the intellectual property. But mm -hmm. I personally had learned so much from making that app. It was my first app, and um, 
every time a new feature of Xamarin or Xamarin Forms or something new in Azure would come out, I would see that and go, oh, I can use that new feature to do this in my Punday app. And I would go, I would figure it out and I would have it working, but I couldn't share that code with anybody. And so while I was learning a ton, I, it wasn't something I could share with the community. And, and so what I love about Git Trends, the fact that it's open source, now when these new features come out and I get excited, like Xamarin Forms just introduced multi-binding. So you can have um, one bindable property bound to multiple other bindable properties. And so if you want to do like a view-to-view -view binding and a view-to-view -view model binding together to say, is this button enabled? You can do that now. And so <laughs> cool things like that, I can that uh, I can implement and get trends. I can do that and then also share that with the world. Like, hey, check this out. And I actually, I just gave a presentation the other day to um, the .NET meetup in Zurich and was showing off like, Hey, I'm using I'm using this and get trends and here's how. And it's it's really cool to have that real real world working example because you know sample apps are always nice and they're helpful, but to see it in a production app that lives in the app store uh, really helps build that holistic view of okay, this wasn't just a made up sample that has no context like here's why the app needed it. Here's how it helps. And you can even see if you go into the commit log, you can see all the code I got to rip out when I implemented multi-bindings because I had to do some crazy hacks and workarounds to get some things working when I needed to bind to a couple of properties for uh, one control. And yeah, you can even go back in and see, it's like, look, look how much better this code is now with this new mm -hmm. feature. And, and so, yep. yeah, it's been really fortunate that um, other people have been enjoying it too. And yeah, it's funny seeing I've typed, speaking of the star history or, uh, the star history app, I've typed in Git trends and it's funny to see the, the spikes in stars seem to correlate to when I push out new apps to the app or new updates at the app store. So there's a, there's a spike in stars when I released the beta and then a, a slightly bigger spike when I released uh, version one. And I just recently released, um, a version 1.1 and, it's funny to see how all that correlates between users and GitHub stars. And now that Git Trends is tracking uh, clones and views, I can also use Git Trends to track itself. <laughs> so it's, it's been really cool. And I, I just love the outpouring from and appreciation from the community because this app wouldn't be what it is today without, without folks in the community, both using it, giving feedback, helping out and opening pull requests, requesting features. And so just thank you to everybody that's uh, had a chance to use it and try it out. I guess the fact that all users of your app also have GitHub accounts really helps with the stars also. <laughs> that would explain <laughs> that correlation there. Yeah, definitely. I was, I was actually curious about that. If, um, you know, if people found the app in the app store, because maybe you just go to the app store and you search for like GitHub tracking tool. And I don't know if that would even, <laughs> how the SEO works, if that would make Git Trend show up, but... Yeah, if you discover it via the App Store, would you eventually come across the the open source repo? And it was something I was, while I was walking the dog yesterday, I was thinking to myself, and I was like, you know, I could probably do an about page that um, 
lets people know that it is open source and here's where you can request new features and mm -hmm. also just say thank you to everybody who's been able to use it and contribute to it. And so, yeah, maybe now that we're talking about it, I'll put that on the feature list too. So we'll add a, we'll add an about page, uh, to, to the roadmap as well. Maybe some lists of libraries too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Carrie. I know we didn't, we didn't dive. Actually, I don't think we touched on Android app store at all, but I, I know I'm the, the first repeat guest. Maybe I can come back on for a third time <laughs> and we can chat about all the fun with the Android app store and their review process as well. <laughs> sure. Sure. I'd love to. So thank you again. It was was really fun, a lot of fun listening to listening to your experiences there. Yeah, so uh, I'll invite you again. Thanks. Yeah, and, and if anybody has any questions or wants to reach out, uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter. My my Twitter handle is the Code Traveler. So T H E C O D E Traveler. Like I travel a lot. Well, I used to. <laughs> so <laughs> my my direct messages are always open if you want to shoot me a message and chat about anything with Xamarin or Azure or C Sharp or .NET or even async and await and, uh, and GraphQL. I love all of those, can talk for days about it. So feel free to shoot me a message and I can also point you in the direction to download and try out GitTreads. Great. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks, Gary. This has been another episode of Dev Talk. We'll see each other again in two weeks. Bye bye.